Welcome to ESG Decoded. I'm Amanda Shea, and today my guest is Kristen Tremaine Davis from AECOM. She is the practice lead for nature-based solutions in the Americas. Kristen, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate you making time to talk with me and educate our listeners more about nature-based solutions. Will you tell us a little bit about your company and what you do there? Sure. Yeah, AECOM is a global multinational infrastructure consulting firm. So we design and create uh, projects all over the world. Our motto is Imagine It Delivered, and we try to stand by that. It's five business lines all working in all different areas, and I'm located on the environmental side. And tell me more about, in your practice area, nature-based solutions and how you're helping communities to be more resilient to climate change. Sure. Yeah, so I lead our nature-based solutions practice. Um, Nature-based solutions is a term that's been thrown around a lot in the last few years. It's really having its heyday right now, I think, especially starting last year. And for those of you who could use a reminder, nature-based solutions are actions that protect, sustainably manage, and restore ecosystems. Those can be natural or modified. And they also address societal challenges um, whilst simultaneously providing human and biodiversity benefit. So what we do at AECOM is we see nature-based solutions under four different pillars, if you will. The first of which is really understanding nature-based solutions in climate vulnerability. So that is an area where we look at understanding how natural systems like wetlands, for example, are under threat to climate change and what actions through adaptation planning and community capacity building can be done to mitigate or reduce those effects. The second area of nature-based solutions we work in is really in employing nature-based solutions as physical resilience. And this is the oldest, I would say, pillar of nature-based solutions. And these are really those physical examples for resilience. So, or just employing nature in general. So you can think about beach renourishment, for example, adding sand to beaches to help promote the beach itself. That's been going on for over a century. There's all sorts of benefits that you get out of that physical side of nature-based solutions. Other terms for it are green infrastructure or natural infrastructure. And that's really looking at things like living shorelines for flood resilience or hazard mitigation planning, wildlife crossing design, advanced mitigation, it goes on and on. And then there's two other areas that I think are two newer areas. One really is looking at that natural capital element of nature-based solutions and as you know, more and more is coming out um, on reporting on TCFD and now TNFD will be coming out and companies are being asked by shareholders and others driven by a myriad of, of reasons to report on biodiversity. Companies are starting to ask, you know, what is our biodiversity and what are our biodiversity impacts? So we get at that through natural capital accounting and essentially what that is is we're assessing um, a company's 
uh, overall, you know, operations, their um, supply chain, their physical properties for what natural capital assets they own or they're working with um, or they're spending in addition to the more physical traditional monetary assets um, or assets that can be easily monetized. And then the fourth one is natural climate solutions. And with that, I think that you're, everyone on the call knows about that, but that's really that employing nature as, and nature's ability to sequester carbon as a means to offset carbon and greenhouse gas impacts and emissions that companies are making working towards a net zero future. So we do all that here at AACOM. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify two acronyms for our listeners in case they're not familiar with TCFD and TNFD. Do you mind cl clarifying what those two acronyms are? Sure. TCFD is the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, and TNFD is the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures that'll be coming out probably mid-next year. And you were talking about the third pillar around natural capital accounting. Can you give us some examples of what nature, natural capital might be? Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Yeah. So I can give you a project example. So if you have, say, a site and you, you own properties, you might traditionally look at the value of your real estate asset through traditional valuation metrics, right? What is the acreage of the site. You know, you might look at what's the water supply, is there water sources nearby, things like that. But it's it's um, doesn't take into account the ecosystem services that that site provides. And so under natural capital accounting, what we do is we think about those ecosystem services. What are the um, different regulating and provisioning and cultural and other services provided? So an example would be if you had a wetland on your property. Wetlands provide water filtration. They improve, they can improve the water quality of an area. Um, they provide great biodiversity habitat for a myriad of different species some of those which may be threatened or endangered under state or federal law. It can provide carbon sequestration value because um, different types of habitats sequester carbon differently and at different rates. So you can think about a grassland versus a forest, and you can also think about the soil carbon. And, and through doing that, you're not only looking at how your operations, for example, may have impacts to those physical assets, but you can think about how you could also potentially benefit from both the baseline natural capital or the baseline existing benefits, as well as look at how through what's called optioneering, you could modify the different habitats to expand the benefit of those services. Um, okay, if you were that's looking, a new... yeah, to carbon banking or, or wetland banking or whatever you want to do. Sorry to interrupt. I was like, oh, I've never heard of the word optioneering, but I like that. Yeah. <laughs> really engineering what are your options and finding the best yeah. option for, for for whatever your challenge is. That's I love that. Yeah, I, I um, tip my hat to our UK colleagues on that who 
have been working on this for two decades now. So what do you think is driving the interest in nature-based solutions? I think humans inherently, we have a connection with nature. You know, if you show someone two different photographs, one of a, you know, really poor habitat and, and one of this beautiful stream corridor, what we call riparian corridor, that's, you know, got green trees and plants and flowers and, and diverse animals, we're going to naturally be drawn towards the higher quality habitat. So that part has always been there. And I'm not an evolutionary ecologist or a anthropologist, but I think there's obviously some benefit of being around habitats with higher ecosystem services or higher natural capital, right? Because it means greater, greater quality of life or greater opportunity for um, converting those into services that we can benefit from. But I think that our culture, you know, has been separated for a long time by nature. I mean, it's, you know, just just how we've evolved in the industrial revolution and going about into becoming more of a, a capital focused society. And I think there's a couple things that have changed the playing field really rapidly just in the last couple of years. Um, I think the first thing is the broader global awareness of the effects on climate change and the interconnectedness of humans as well as broader biodiversity with that and the voluntary agreements that are being made at COP and you know that were made in Paris and these other really important um, moments and events. And then I think that another is really thinking about the changes in the way that shareholders are looking at publicly traded companies and are asking of the companies that they hold shares in to be more transparent in, in what they're doing. And through that, I think that there is a bit of a stick and a carrot at the same time. The stick is that we are seeing, you know, if companies report on, on um, things they're doing that they can't back up, greenwashing, right? We're seeing fallout on that. But also, we're also seeing companies want to be the first, be the best, be the pilot to, to make change and to do things. And we're seeing a really positive ripple effect through everything of, of people being drawn to that and attracted to that. And then I think just to top all of that off is this whole movement with the voluntary carbon market and net zero and how do we get to net zero and and natural climate solutions just being such an obvious way to get towards that is making everyone aware but it's really cool and i'm glad i'm glad to be in the middle of it it is really a, a interesting point i think in time where i agree with you that we're seeing more interest too in in nature-based solutions because of all the drivers you mentioned. And I'll just echo that kind of first one of there's so many amazing co-benefits with these mm -hmm. projects that are so appealing. And even if we don't consciously know why we're attracted to it, we just naturally are. I wanted, to, I did want to ask you a little bit about green infrastructure. And you mentioned that before. What does that mean? What is green infrastructure? 
Yeah, so green infrastructure is essentially the higher level concept of employing nature to solve a problem that we have. So a classic example would be employing uh, traditionally, say, if you had an issue with flooding along a coastal shoreline, you would put in some sort of wall or some sort of physical barrier that would prevent the flood water from going into the human built world. And that we call gray infrastructure, something like a seawall made out of concrete steel. Green infrastructure, on the other hand, is looking at essentially what has nature evolved as its own toolkit and how has how does it address these these factors and and so a nature-based solution to that would be wetlands and looking at perhaps building up an earthen bank that had uh, a variety of different wetland um, species types or habitats that people call living levees or living shorelines you know using nature's sponge wetlands to soak up that water uh, instead of instead of the gray or i would say more commonly instead of only the gray because often what is the best solution is what we call a hybrid approach which is that green gray interface I recognize a lot of the examples she you just provided there growing up in Houston and thinking about our Galveston yeah. seawall, but also the, the, the marshlands we have or the wetlands we have around Galveston Bay. And there's a lot of projects to, to restore them and enhance them because, yeah, hurricanes like to come our way. <laughs> we actually support the, the Texas Coastal Resiliency Master Plan as one of our key projects. So there you go. Awesome. That's good. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you a little bit more about is the fourth pillar that you mentioned about really natural climate solutions and mm -hmm. sequestering carbon in these projects. Tell me how you're approaching that. Share a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked that. I mean, I, I really think that that is the future frontier right? I mean, that's what excites me, is thinking about how can we overlap these different concepts of green infrastructure, like we just talked about, with the concepts of how can we employ a physical green infrastructure or hybrid green-gray infrastructure solution that will also get at our net zero and you know, biodiversity net gain kind of goals? The answer is yes. And, and that's what's so exciting. But the methods of how and how best to do it are still, you know, it's, it's early days. Um, and so one example is I've been working on this project called Resilient 37, which runs along the North San Francisco Bay. And one of the concepts there is integrate, don't mitigate. And so it's this idea of how can you design these large scale infrastructure projects to integrate sustainability into the design itself? Can you do wetlands restoration? Can you use a different type of concrete? Can you, you know, what can you do from nature based solutions to embodied carbon and beyond to environmental justice? How can you net positive the community or the landscape by a project like that. And then 
turn that into to natural climate solutions and, and getting credit for it. And I know natural climate solutions um, has been around uh, quite some time as well, and I'm not an expert in it. But I know that traditionally when the approaches we think about landscapes that are you know far away they're not on site they're far away and they're these beautiful healthy managed forests or wetlands or grasslands and we can know that by um paying money into the longevity of those and the improvement of those we can offset so i challenge us all to think about how can we instead think about little pieces within our projects, within our landscapes, within our communities, where we can come up with some natural climate solutions projects and get credit locally and thereby benefit from better habitats and a nature-based solution locally. I love that. I, I love your innovative thinking of, I think that's when we, for folks that work in sustainability, we're always, I always say it's a continuous improvement journey. We're always asking, well, what about this? What if we try yeah. to add another win to that? Um, you know, <laughs> what else can we do? How else can we improve this? And I think that's interesting thinking about not only how do we, you know, increase resiliency to climate change, kind of adapting to what our new climate is, but also how can we also actively try to, number one, reduce our emissions and or draw down emissions essentially through sequestration and not contribute to further climate change and really try to hit the, the goals that were outlined in Paris. Yeah, I think that's, I love creative thinkers like that, you. <laughs> They're like, Thank you. What else yeah. can we do? <laughs> I mean, I think some of it just comes from, you know, experience working in different markets and sectors over the years and then thinking, well, wait, you know, that that sector has a really good methodology for that. So could we take that concept and modify it and employ it here? And or sometimes I'm in a meeting and people will just say, well, I don't know how you do that. And it's like, I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, you just throw it out there. One of my very first projects, um, I feel like most of these opportunities too, historically less and less so now come from from running up in, against a problem and not having a solution because, you know, a lot of what we do is, is pretty methodical and creativity allows itself when you, when you reach a challenge, right, that you can't overcome. And um, those are some of the most fun meetings to be in. I was in a meeting early in my career where they wanted to a client wanted to modify a roadway just based on how they'd always done it. And so they asked me to identify where the wetlands were that they had to avoid so that they didn't impact wetlands. But the whole thing was a wetland. <laughs> so it was sort of a stand-up comedy routine for me, but everyone enjoyed it. And then we had to design a whole new approach to how we just did basic transportation planning and, and it is one of the most fun projects I've ever worked on. So it's times like that where I think we're forced to be innovative and we have multidisciplinary partners all in a room. That that seems like that's where the, the fun stuff happens. I love that example. 
Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you for sharing what you're doing and all these really cool examples of how you're helping communities be more resilient and adapt to climate change, but also this idea of let's do more. <laughs> thank you so much, Amanda. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks.